0: Okay, welcome back to Big Fields of Work. Once again, I'm Graham Panther with my able co-host, Gareth Edwards, and we actually have a special guest for this final topic. It's a delicate one. The topic is, how do I keep my job when I'm losing my shit? (laughs) So we're bringing in special correspondent, Honor Eastley.
1: Yep. From the depths.
0: Who has plumbed the depths of this particular experience of... How to Keep Your Job When Things Are Getting Real Wobbly. Anna has many credits to her name, but perhaps most relevantly, hosted and wrote an award-winning podcast with the ABC, No Feeling Is Final, all about her own experience of profound despair. Mm-hmm. Award-winning show, no less.
1: You've got to say <laughs> yeah. it twice. That's how people know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, welcome. Thanks. So you wanted to start us off with an article you found on this very subject.
1: Well, first I just wanted to say I feel like my specialty is getting jobs when I'm <laughs> when <laughs> I'm in the depths of despair. Great. It's like in depths of despair. Now's the right moment <laughs> to begin <laughs> any job, whatever it is.
2: <laughs> it can only get better. <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: So several periods of searching frantically for jobs and interviewing whilst feeling like life is maybe not entirely worth living.
1: It's a. It's like such a special, extraordinary time to be doing that <laughs> at the same time.
0: And for context, is it fair to say that that is part of your coping strategy Is when when things are really wobbly is, well, how can I at least have my CV look right?
1: Uh, yeah, but also like... Let's let's distract from this experience yeah. Yeah. through productivity. <laughs> I'm going to
2: work my way through this.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's get the, some things in motion. Yeah. So that it feels like something's moving. Yeah, there's
2: yeah. progress
0: on something, even yeah. if it's not my well-being.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: All right. So what's the article you found?
1: So when we were talking about this subject beforehand, I found this great advice column by this writer their website is captainawkward.com and they give lots of different advice about lots of different things particularly around like emotional well-being relationships that kind of thing they've written this column about how to keep yourself together at work when your life is falling apart Mm -hmm. and I actually found this not that long ago after I've tried to do this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I found some of the advice in it just very, very straightforward and practical. Go for it. So I thought I, I wanted to, I thought I'd bring it to the table and I wanted to see what Yols' has thought of it as well. So she writes a story about how she was the boss of someone who was working part-time for her, but who was going through a really, really rough time. And then some months in, this person, this employee's son passed away. So that made things a lot, a lot worse mm. for this person. This mm. person is going through a major, major crisis mm. and they had a really rough time. The work tried to be really helpful, gave this person like a month off work, employed temps to try and take pretty much everything off their plate. But ultimately this Person really struggled, as you can imagine, but really struggled. And Captain Orkwood, who's writing this column, says that she had to let this person go because ultimately they were their work was counterproductive and actually making things a lot, a lot worse. Yeah. So, what she gives is some clear advice around what are some things you could do to help you keep your job even if you can't necessarily keep the quality of your job yeah. that, that good at that moment.
0: So if you're on in a period of time where you're not able to give your job the priority, you would normally give it, what are some things you can do or maybe avoid doing? Yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: what, what's she got? So
1: the first thing is, Be five to 10 minutes early every day you go to work. (laughs) She says, get all your stuff together. Make sure that you've, you, by the time you get there and you're supposed to be working, you already have made your coffee, all your stuff is away. Um, and she says, whatever time you have to get up and leave your house to do this, do it. Um, and that being early communicates to your bosses, coworkers, that you want to be there And that you are trying to pull it together.
0: See, I find that hard at the best of times, but that's mostly because I don't want to be there. Yeah. Which is not specific to the types of jobs I've had. I think it's just a me problem. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yep.
1: I mean, I find this... I I agree. I find this hard at the best of times, but I feel like when shit is hitting the fan is an extraordinary time, and I feel like these kinds of things might be possible.
0: What I like about it is... Perhaps, because she says something like, what does she say? It, it Being early communicates to your bosses and co-workers that you want to be there. What's useful about that is you may not want to be there, but it's a way of communicating. Yeah. Well, she we, says
1: you may be lying to them and to yourself when you communicate that you want to be there.
0: But the appearance
1: of enthusiasm will help.
0: Perfect. Yeah, I like that. And we talked about in an earlier episode about the, the value of pretending. Yeah. And how, yes. pa- particularly yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're having a wobbly time, work can be this... Refuge in a way, because you get to pretend you're a normal person for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. The, the challenging bit we also talked about is that when the work is mental health, there's another layer there, however.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I found that in particular because when I've been through the shitter, I'm also working in mental health and hearing stories that I otherwise wouldn't necessarily be sensitive to, but because no one knows like that maybe I'm Maybe I'm suicidal, and people are just like blanket just telling me these really mm. graphic stories, yeah, but they don't they don't know, yeah, and in another state, I wouldn't be as sensitive to that, yes, but in that moment, I am,
0: yeah, and we've so I should mention we introduced you as the as a podcaster extraordinaire, but you've also worked in mental health in lots of different ways, so in support work, in consulting and yeah, all the other hats,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: What else has she got?
1: She says, if your desk and work environment is messy, clean it up. Oh, yeah. I like these because they're very clear.
0: They also feel all very directed at me. What's going on here?
1: And she says, even if you just take all the stuff related to a project and put it in its own folder labeled project, uh, <laughs> and then putting those folders into something like a, a folder manager... <laughs> It will make a small but noticeable difference. And she says it may feel like you don't have time. If you're out of the habit of doing this, it might feel like a silly distraction from the real work. Yeah. But keep in mind, looking like you have your shit together is the real work
2: right now. Right now, your job is to appear that you're doing your job. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is
2: what most people are doing anyway, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll yeah. just file this under the filing name "Project." Exactly, never to be looked at again. Yeah, yeah. okay.
1: So she has another one which I'm, I'm interested in your opinion <clears> throat> on, throat> which is if you feel yourself getting teary, excuse yourself. <laughs> like if you feel yourself getting like you're gonna start crying at work, excuse yourself. She says practice a script for keeping your voice very calm Ooh. as you say, "Excuse me, I'll be back in a moment." And then go to the bathroom, get a glass of water, whatever it is you need to do, walk around the building. Yeah. Or, excuse me, let's pick up this discussion after I've had a chance to look at some figures. Thanks. Or a couple of st- stock faces.
2: And then you come the, back with like like r- red eyes. Like, so, what were those figures? Oh, they were really important <laughs> figures.
0: <laughs> it's interesting. My first response is Wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a world where crying at work wasn't, yeah. wasn't seen as unprofessional? Ooh.
1: The other the other thing that she says, which I think is interesting, particularly for people and where they might be working, is that she says it's bullshit and sexist to paint women mm. as overly emotional if they get flustered or cry at work. Um, but if you have been labelled as the crazy one or are afraid that you might be at work, and if right now keeping your job um, means changing that opinion, yep. it will help you to not cry in front of assholes is what she says (laughs) yeah
0: i think that so my equivalent because i've never been much of a crier my Mm. equivalent is getting really fucking pissed off yeah we talked in an earlier episode about anger that i have around why the mental health system is this way
1: i've never seen that (laughs) before
0: i mostly managed to channel it through my good new zealand upbringing into grand politeness but it bubbles up and that's when i would go for that walk yeah yeah
1: i've actually (laughs) off the topic but i actually found often i fall i i want to fall asleep yeah so that's Uh, that's the thing that's unprofessional particularly if you're having a rough time maybe you're not sleeping very well and you have to sit through really really long meetings that are quite boring Hmm. i often excuse myself to go to the bathroom and i'll I'll like run around the block yeah, yeah. to like get my energy flowing so I don't fall asleep, <laughs> or do sit ups in the toilet cubicle <laughs> to do to do the same thing. On the crying front, I have heard that if you squeeze your butt cheeks together, it stops you from crying.
2: <laughs> Are you crying? Crying from your butt is not crying.
1: <laughs> I think it's that's something else. Yeah,
2: probably should have looked at. I think
1: it's supposed to be distracting.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what else has Captain Awkward got for us?
1: Uh, she says, document your work tasks, by which she means carry a notepad with you everywhere and write things down. Mm. I think this is really good advice if you are, for whatever reason, not in the right space. So for me, I've been going through some chronic health issues lately and i my memory is nowhere near as good as it usually is. Yeah. So I've been learning the hard way that I really have to write things down. Otherwise I had, I really don't know what anyone said. So that's a, you know, a little thing that's actually quite useful if you're not always in the state of mind you'd like to be in.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. There's kind of a theme with all of these, which is sort of around organization. Yeah. Um, I'm someone who's pretty scattered with this stuff mm. at the best of time. You've both seen my, my desk. Or the, well, we haven't. That's exactly, the problem. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that one in particular resonates for me that not just in crisis, but sort of that pre-crisis of everything's feeling a bit overwhelming, you're starting to drop things, having a even just a to-do list, which is often something I don't get around to doing at the beginning of each day. Going back to that discipline of, mm. of planning my
2: day, even if the plans will change, can be quite calming. Mm. I think you might have had on a kind of, you know, an underlying thing as well that all of this is an intentional approach mm. to when things aren't great Yeah, because it's starting to sound a little bit like you know just a, a sort of obsessive manager's perspective of how people should work but it isn't it's like if things aren't going well here's some ways to get a handle on it like it's an intentional thing like you might not do it forever
1: yeah yeah
0: and yeah. i also think there's an element of managing your own expectations here like a lot of this is about how how people view you but there's also this feeling of like because so much of the stuff is a, is a vicious cycle of feeling like a failure right mm. like the more crisis you're experiencing the shitter you feel like you're doing at work and then the more you go into that death spiral of of feeling like a useless human I think what's helped me just to arrest that spiral sometimes is, is to bring my expectations down so one of the things I do with my planning particularly if I'm having a wobbly period my to-do list i might i might have a really messy to-do list that's in a folder that has like everything that i need to remember but for that day for each day in the morning what i'll do is i'll put on a completely different piece of paper my list for that day Mm. and it's it's just three things three little rocks i call them and uh the idea is can i at least for today have a nice simple thing to look at and, and on really bad days the little rocks can be really little mm. <laughs> and to know that if I did those it's been okay even if, if you know objectively it looks like I've done very little. <laughs>
1: I think there's kind of two things here I think one of it is like the appearance of having it together and the point yeah. that she makes in here which I think is really clever is how do you make it so that someone else could do your job more easily? So as in, if you can't work, try and be clear about that. Mm. Sorry, I can't come in today. She said this person that she was managing was like, was doing things that made things difficult and then was clearly really ashamed of it. And so was hiding. So would like walk in the back way from work. So she didn't have to go past her. Wouldn't answer any phone calls from her which for me as someone who's like an avoidy person, I understand <laughs> <It's> that <same. laughs> instinct. But also then it made it really hard to to get like someone to come in and, and take her workload or anything like that.
2: But I think it's more than instinct. Like mm. I had to dream of a day we could all cry at work because yeah. that would just be six hours of sobbing and, and lunch, you know. Like, that would <laughs> be most people's day. But somewhere south of that is is, is working in places where, you know, all that behavior to me is like, oh, I have to do this to sort of navigate the work environment. Yeah. Mm. Well, if you didn't have to navigate the work environment, then perhaps you wouldn't display all these sort of devious sort of behaviors that are trying to mask the fact that you're not coping very well.
0: And particularly in the context that a lot of our listeners are working with, you know, as we've said before, there's a feelings phobia, In in Mm. mental health, there's a a real sense that if you haven't got it completely together, you must be like them, those people we help who who have, you know, no hope. It's that kind of us and them mentality again. So I I agree there's a sense in which those strategies can be really important, Mm. that hiding. So I'm curious what you make of that, particularly just thinking about your own experiences when working in mental health in particular, being in that crisis space.
1: I suppose there's different ways of hiding, though. Yeah. Like, I think the, the, if you're hiding and, uh, I don't want to say like skirting your responsibilities, but like avoiding the man, hmm. whoever the man is, <laughs> it, as opposed to like, I feel like there's a hiding in plain sight, which is kind of what sh- Captain Awkward is, um, Presenting as yeah. an option, which is like, yes, there is stuff going on. I'm not going to talk about that all yeah. the time. I'm going to appear as if I'm here <laughs> when I'm not really here. And part of that is about being upfront in some ways, in a, in a using professional sounding words and professional approaches to sort of navigate that stuff. Does that make sense?
2: It does. I'm, I'm trying to capture the other side as well, mm. and particularly when you know when you're working in these services, like you said, there's this fear phobia, and I, I've, I'm kind of interested to know what it was like. We talked in an earlier episode about when Graham worked for a fully lived, experienced organisation. Mm. So maybe you can reflect on that. But it's it, it's it's knowing that you've got a right or a a position where you can expect your employees to do better as well. Because at the moment, it's all like, how can I manage my shit so I look like I'm doing okay? And you know, and that's really important, You know, this whole idea of functional recovery and stuff. But how can you also have that conversation and make sure that the people employing you are treating you in the right way? And I think it's worth saying that for some who are
0: listening, they can't. So for some people listening, they literally will know that their manager absolutely won't get it. Yeah. And so there's, I want to honor that for sure. And then there are others who, you know, th- it may have people at work who they can lean on, whether it's their boss or someone else. Um, for me, at the place you're asking about, so the first place I worked for where everyone from the CEO to all the support workers all, all had lived experience, it was this feeling that there were so many people people I could talk to. Mm. I still had my particular go-tos like you know I didn't tell everything to my boss. Yeah. I actually got some feedback from them long after I was, was working there. I'd been working there for months and, and doing pretty well and they told me they almost didn't hire me because I was so honest in the interview.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what were you too honest
1: about?
0: About how very present my oh, not, not, not sure. lived but live experience was. So you know there are there are limits even even there but um Thankfully, they did hire me. And and yeah, I felt there were certain go-to people I found. I guess even in my more mainstream working settings where I was much casier about what I'd share with, with my bosses, mm. I would still seek out... I mean, I had you, Gareth, to mm. talk to. Um, I had a couple other people who,
2: who I could tell what was really going on. and that. But even if you don't tell them what's going on, because it's really interesting, this story is about a lady who experienced profound grief yeah. and the loss of a child... Way before their time, mm. so in our culture, that's a much easier conversation to yeah, say totally. that you know I'm seeing things that other people don't see or whatever else. Mm. That's yeah, that's yeah. a much more acceptable story. Yeah. But even whatever the story is of why you can't do the role that they're employed to do, you can find a way. And we spoke about this and of like, how do you tell a bit of your story enough to get what you need?
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. it
2: might be like you might be able to go and tell your boss, "Look, I'm having trouble sleeping." Mm. They don't need to know it's because you're having hallucinations yeah, yes. or yes, God or, complexes or, or whatever else. Or thinking about death. Yeah, it could just yeah. be you've got a noisy neighbour. Like you yeah. don't you don't need to contextualise the story. It's just like what's happening here is that I'm really exhausted. Yeah, you know. And sometimes we don't know. And I think your situation at the moment, Honor, it's like you know. Sometimes you you're just debilitated for some reason, and you've got to convey that to the people who are employing you. Because bottom line, they don't really care. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what they want to know is what do you want me to do about it? Because yes. most managers are not HR specialists. Yeah. And they shit themselves. and go, oh, my God, now I've got this liability. Yeah. So if you can kind of come with something of like, hey, what would be really helpful is. Uh, yeah. If I could start an hour later or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah.
1: That's what I found is actually it's interesting for me having been through Mental health experiences are now going through like physical health stuff that's awkward to explain. Um, the physical health stuff can be a lot easier to just be like, I look. I can't stand up for long times. I need X Y Z. Or I might look weird. I'll be wearing sunglasses inside. Yeah. I'm not. I don't think I'm really cool. Yeah. Um, and. So that I think you make a really good point about, around if there's an option to bring it back to, uh, more of the physical, I'd say, because not being on a sleep.
2: Well, make it tangible, eh? Yeah. Make it something that they like. By all means, fake it till you make it, mm. if you can. That kind of made me feel a bit pressured. That list, but <laughs> but the best I've ever had is when you sort of it's a collaborative thing. Like you're working with your boss, playing to their strengths. Yeah. Particularly if you've got a boss who doesn't get it. Yeah. Like, well, don't expect them to get it. Go, go seek your solace elsewhere, but still come to them with what I need is a bit of bit of
0: And and there's elements of this that are true, even when not in crisis. So mm. I think about, you know, I've I've always struggled with the nine to five. It's just part of who i am i I don't even i used to think of it as part of my mental health experiences but Mm. i actually think these days it's just that i'm quite introverted and if i'm in an office all day i feel exhausted by 1 p.m so yeah finding finding ways to to mitigate that while still doing the work working from home when possible working shorter days it's really hard to negotiate for that stuff in our modern work environment where you know, unions are disempowered and all the rest of it. We mentioned Marx in the first episode. Here we are again. So not, not at all saying this is easy to negotiate. Um, but that, as you say, there's, there's kind of some element of it that is negotiable, at least in theory.
2: Yeah, and interestingly, I think what you've done, and this is something that I think people could maybe think about, is if it happens once, sure, you get through it. You know, and I know people, friends, family who've had, you know, a really rough time. They got through it. They managed to keep on hold of the job using some of the tactics we described and then it became good and all is well. But if it keeps happening, which for for us and possibly people listening now it's a recurrent theme, (laughs) it's like at some point you've got to go, okay, I am not a Monday to Friday, nine to five person. If I'm forced into that, then I need some really good coping mechanisms but what other ways can I still be part of this world without having to do that particular way of doing it?
0: Yeah. So one thing I want to touch on is when you're going through crisis, and like Gareth says, maybe you've been through it a few times, particularly when you work in mental health, can make it harder to trust the help that's out there? Mm. Because you've seen how the sausage gets made. You know what's happening behind the curtain. And I just wanted to, to get your guys' thoughts on that. Like, do you have a sense that having worked in mental health, in some ways, it makes you more hopeless about getting help when you need it? Or is that just me?
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, absolutely. Particularly in, like, real pointy crisis, because uh, I just know... <laughs> Last time that happened, I didn't have private health insurance anymore. I didn't want to go to public because I've heard, yeah, didn't want to go to public, couldn't go to private hospital and couldn't get into um, the other option that was in my area. There was one right around the corner from me, sort of like a step up, step down, short stay service. And I couldn't get into that because I wasn't, already I didn't already have a foot in the public camp and if I did go down that way then I wasn't going to be able to see any of the people I was seeing privately anymore Mm. like the dysfunction of the system I don't even it's yes definitely if you work in it also if you've just used it yeah significantly um means that you you understand how it doesn't fit together and I think that that's quite a scary place it means that when you start on you're, you know For me I generally get a Feeling of when Stuff's going to go south for a significant Period of time
2: <laughs>
1: I remember being on the phone to my mum one time Like early on in, in One of them and being like "Mom, I think this is A six monther <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, I'm, I'm pretty
1: certain And I was bang on <laughs> And
2: <Just laughs> Like Sherlock Holmes With his three pipe problems <laughs>
1: So I, that can be a scary position to be in when you know that you really aren't sure about what the options are for yeah. yourself yeah. at those points.
2: Yeah, there you go. So, so I'm tempted to go the sunshine route on that scariness. <laughs> so I've got, I've got this theory, and uh, hopefully one day it'll be borne out by science. And there are a few people who are sort of um, backing it up Like, these periods that we go through, ups, downs, you know, alternative realities, whatever, have a natural half-life. And what we've done is built a system that basically contains us while we go through that. Mm. So for me, I think the moment you realize that the mental health system isn't going to be the be-all and end-all of your salvation... As scary as that is, Mm. is also the point at which you start packaging together a lifestyle that means you can go through those extreme experiences. Yeah.
1: I would agree with you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What does your package look like? It's here. It's me. It's it's everything that I've done. Yeah. Once I realized, particularly particularly when you go around it a few times, Mm. you know, like, I reckon I reckon if it's gonna work, and it does work for some, it's gonna work in about 18 months, two years. When you say it, you mean whatever treatment you Yeah, whatever, you know, yeah. whether you do CBT, DBT, whether you do antidepressants, antipsychotics, if it's gonna have an effect, I yeah. reckon around about two years, if you're seeing the gains in two years, there might be a chance that you that's it. You just have that really, really, really rough time and everything else is like ever decreasing circles and it's fine. Yeah. If it isn't The system's got nothing else. You know it hasn't. Because by the time you go through it a second or a third time, like, oh, it's the same thing. Yeah. And I think it's lost its, you know, that initial impact. Mm. You know? So if you do CBT twice, you're like, yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I remember lesson three. You know. But if you do, you know, if you if you design your life in a way that allows you to celebrate these extreme experiences then they're not crisis points mm. they're just extreme mm. and I think that's the as scary as it is to know that the system hasn't got a cure or even a really rock solid answer yeah. is the start of developing your own cobbled together answer
0: that reminds me of something you've quoted before on around it was the, the, that guy that gave you the advice about course corrections, how each crisis yeah. is a course correction.
1: Yeah, it's better to have a few along the way rather than one really big one when you're further down the line.
0: About to retire. Um, the other thing that makes me think of is, is that I totally agree. The thing that I think is absolutely key is that because that can be a really lonely place mm-hmm. when you're one of these people, like all three of us, who've gone through this stuff multiple times... And you live and work in a sector that constantly preaches just ask for help as if if that was the answer when you know that it's one small part of the answer. Um, That can be a really lonely place. And so to deal with that, you've got to find other people. And I I sound like a broken record on this because it's so utterly what's helped me, but... Finding other people asking those same big questions. Finding other people working in this field, who are yeah walking this path.
1: That's the thing I've definitely heard from people, particularly in clinical roles, is that it does can actually just be one person. Yeah, not even necessarily at your workplace. Yeah, and that they can be a real key key part of making it all fit together.
2: And it doesn't even, I don't think, I don't even think it has to be a really beautiful friendship or relationship or anything like that. It just has to make you feel like this is okay. Yeah. So, you know, as you can tell by my accent, you know, I hail from the north of England. And when I go back there, it doesn't matter who I talk to, I feel part of the fabric in a way that I never feel. You know, I've been in New Zealand nearly 20 years. I do heaps over here in Australia. It's great. I love it. It's my choice. But when I go home, I feel part of the fabric. It feels normal to be me. Mm. And I think there's an element of this. It's it's just being amongst the people who you might disagree. Mm. But at least you're disagreeing and agreeing in the same ballpark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well,
0: we might leave this one here. Uh, Thank you both for joining me. Cool. Hey, before we finish, just a few key bits of information. First thing, uh, as I said in the last episode, we have confirmed another round of funding for Big Fields of Work, so we'll be making more things. That includes more episodes, uh, and also, depending on your feedback, we might experiment with some other stuff as well. To be the first to know of everything we come up with, all you have to do is nothing at all. We'll keep sending you emails like we have been, not quite as regularly, but you'll hear from us each month. If you've had your fill, if that's enough, big fields of work for you. There's a button in the episode five email that you can click to unsubscribe from these emails. So click that and you won't hear from us again. Also that unsubscribe option is actually at the bottom of all of our emails. So if you're curious about what we want to do next, you can always keep getting the emails for now and then hit unsubscribe later. If you choose to second thing, There's still time to send in a little recording of yourself for our upcoming episode on working in a time of pandemic. Thanks to those who've sent in recordings already. The instructions for that are in the previous email from us, episode 4, if you want to take part in that. Last and most important thing, speaking of what we do next, please, please, please do the survey that you'll find in the episode 5 email. This helps us hugely. a couple ways. It helps us justify that next round of funding for this resource and it helps us shape the next phase of Big Feels at Work into something that will be genuinely useful to you. So tell us your thoughts, what sort of topics you want to hear from us, who you want to hear from beyond me and Gareth and other things we might be able to do to help you guys out in this strange in between personal and professional world we're all navigating. So if you can do the survey right now, it'll take about five minutes. Find the link in the email for episode five. If you can't do it right now, we'd love it if you can find some time in your schedule this week to do that. It will be extremely helpful for us. Okay, you'll hear from us again before too long. Thanks.